Hi, welcome to Working 9 to Thrive, a show about creativity, community, and career. I'm your host, Janet McKenna-Lowry. Today I'll have the second half of my delightful conversation with illustrator and cartoonist David Milgram. But first, I'm going to be looking at the book Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us by Daniel Pink. I've reviewed Pink's book, When, in the past, and at some point I'd really like to do To Sell as Human. I like his work. But still, I have some general allergies to the construct of motivation and how we as infinitely varied humans relate to it. This is especially true on this tight wire between truly wanting to understand ourselves, but still acknowledge neurodiversity and trauma and the insanity of toxic capitalism, wanting to own workers and solve motivation without doing anything as messy as empathy and soft skills. But Pink's approach is generally great. And he gives a shout out to the book Punished by Rewards by Alfie Cohn, which everybody should read. It is a fundamental book in my life and required reading for anyone who wants a viable alternative to the dissatisfaction of doing things just to please teachers and parents and bosses and everybody else. The science of salary, rewards, and incentives and their effect on motivation is surprising. The first thing to remember is that any discussion about paying people has to be about covering living expenses adequately. While some of Pink's findings can apply to people who live on very low incomes, the fact is your necessities have to be covered or nothing else in the book matters, and he knows this. So it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that this book is about making work tolerable. It's not really. So when we hear that based on studies done at MIT, higher pay and bonuses resulted in better performance only if the task consisted of basic mechanical skills, yes, that's true, but only after that base income. Because as Pink says, it has to pay enough to take the issue of money off the table. Because beyond that, just paying more or bonuses like they do for CEOs and Wall Street bros and so on does not elicit their best work. Clearly it doesn't. Or a lot of our social, political, climate, and other problems would be fully solved. What the book really speaks to is a combination of better management and better treatment of employees and how bosses and companies can structure the work so that employees can do their creative human-centered work in an atmosphere that doesn't use them up or break them. And heck, extend that to your personal life, your educational choices, and to those of your kids. As long as a task involves only mechanical skill, higher pay equals better performance, and bonuses work. But once you get above rudimentary cognitive skill, rewards stop working. And in fact, the larger reward actually leads to poorer performance. And despite it being 11 years on, economics classes in college, media reporting on economics, and management training has not caught up. Where we humans do best, where we blossom and grow and make the world better 
is in an atmosphere of three things, according to Pink. First, autonomy. This is our desire to be self-directed. Engagement over compliance. So self-directed as opposed to being micromanaged, as opposed to being ordered to do things, or as opposed to obedience being the only quality of our work that we're valued for. Atlassian, the company, once a quarter, has their coders work on whatever they'd like to do for 24 hours. It's just play. They arrange snacks. And the idea of this, and I love this quote, is you probably want to do something interesting. Let me get out of your way. That is the attitude of the managers and the company. And that one day of pure autonomy has led to countless innovations, software improvements, entirely new, very profitable product lines. And none of that would be possible in a top-down, traditional, quote-unquote, normal working day, working framework, I should say, working quarter. Google does something like this as well. It encourages pet projects. That's how we have Gmail. Google is a search engine. That's, that's its original purpose. All the other pieces that have fallen in for Google have been the result of extra extracurricular. I mean, the people are still at work. They're paid to be at work. But they have the time to recharge through fun projects that interest them. The second piece that humans do very well in is when they are encouraged to reach for mastery, the desire to get better skilled. It's really satisfying to get better at something. Economists cannot comprehend why people volunteer on the weekends. They can't comprehend and they can't fit in their quite frankly, fictional frameworks, why people would want to join community choirs or learn to paint on the weekends or pick up an instrument. It's not profitable. It doesn't further them in any way. And that is because in their sort of very rudimentary uh, concept of human beings, they don't take into account the desire for mastery. And because of this, economics can't plan for, predict, take into account, I'm not sure quite what the right language would be here, can't, can't comprehend Wikipedia or any other kind of open source such as Apache or Linux or Drupal, projects that have led to untold amounts of just social blossoming. These are the things that our modern life runs on and humans like a challenge. And they like to master a challenge. I mean, what is any video game except that? But more than that, even more than a video game, way more powerful is the opportunity to make a contribution. And that leads us to the third thing that humans do really well in an atmosphere of, and that is purpose. The desire to do something that has meaning and is important. And when companies lean into that purpose motive, they not only 
thrive, they get better talent who stay, who train others, who stay for long enough. And when they move on, their relationships with the original company are good and they help that original company acquire and retain talented people. One of the things that I find frustrating about the book drive is how this understanding has not really seemed to permeate boots on the ground management in the vast majority of businesses. And I guess small to medium sized enterprises would be, I feel like the big ones know it and often won't change. And they look at the ones that do change and they think of all these excuses, but I feel like the small to medium sized enterprises by and large aren't even aware of this. They're not the ones that are going to pay to have Daniel Pink come and speak. Google is, but the four grocery chain, tiny chain store isn't and doesn't. Heck, I would say all of food service is completely exempt from thinking in these ways to its massive detriment. So regular businesses, places most of us are going to work, do not seem to understand any of this, even though some version of this has been known since forever. And this book came out 11 years ago. Even though when you point out the disconnect in terms that owners and bosses and managers understand for themselves, when you point out to them, would giving you a bonus to do the impossible make you feel like you wanted to do it? Or would you just feel more beaten down? They all know that it would make them feel more beaten down if there was no purpose to it, if there was no mastery. They know this. And they still can't seem to internalize it enough to create a culture in their businesses that that includes these known knowns. Even though, and I love this quote, when profit motive gets unmoored from purpose, bad things happen. Ethically dubious things sometimes, but also crappy products, crap services, crap workplaces. And yet, and yet, and yet, employee retention goes down right now, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but and yet, managers, bosses, owners cannot seem to get past some kind of massive conceptualization and understand that this is why human meat-based people don't want to work for you. And there is a paradox. I briefly talked about it before. The paradox is that money is weird. If you don't pay enough, people can't be motivated. They're too worried. They can't get into a motivation place. You have to pay people enough to take the issue of money, of survival, off the table. Because if you're not terrified about the amount of income you have being able to cover your basic needs, if you're not worried about that all the time, then your brain can move into a place where work becomes a priority. And I don't mean a priority over relationships. I mean a priority while you're at work to be better at what you're doing, to feel as if you have purpose and if you can achieve mastery, 
that can happen, but not if you are working three jobs, four jobs, and driving Uber. That cannot happen. This leads me to my favorite thing about this timeline that we're in. I am so delighted, so happy to see the great resignation. We needed a year to think. We haven't had time to think for a very long time. And COVID, horrifying though it is, deadly though it is, gave us a time to ask ourselves, what is important? And why are we at workplaces where the managers act like they own us, pay terrible rates of pay, and remove not just our safety from that piece where you are paid enough, but remove all autonomy, all chance of mastery, and all purpose. And we have operated in that space for 40 years, really, increasingly. And let me stop for a minute and acknowledge my privilege. I mean, when I say we, I mean those who are economically middle, what was middle class, although it's dispersed, people with education, primarily people that are white, because people that are not palm colored have struggled with these issues for far longer and been in far worse places. And I want to be sure that I acknowledge that. But in terms of what we saw reflected back at us on television, what we expected our society to be, what we've written about as how we things, think things should be set up, 40 years pretty much tracks to the point where having an income that could pay your bills increasingly is rare. And at the same time, the Great Resignation has done this magnificent thing, which is to cause these owners who have not registered, have not taken in, even those that know better, this research to cry and whine and be so sad about people who, quote, unquote, don't want to work. Newsflash, people don't want to work for you. And that's not a them problem. That's a you problem. Now we've established that the carrot, the reward piece, is a problem. It makes you depressed. It sucks out your soul. Everybody walks around saying that you should be happy because you're making more money or you're making the grades. But the second one, the stick, is also very much a problem. And in, the, in America, historically, obviously, but also very much still putting us way outside the norm for developed countries and, and many, many less developed, quote unquote, countries. The stick is really bad for you. Punishments, which we love, make you depressed and suck out your soul. But then people tell you you should be lucky to be employed or lucky to be alive or lucky to be allowed to get an education. The stick does not motivate either. And one of the deep-seated 
things that we seem to be unable to get past in this country is a certainty by higher-ups of whoever that punishment is the only possible answer, despite how many times it doesn't work. And these are hardly liberal or leftist takes on motivation. All the studies supporting Pink's book were done at MIT, University of Chicago, home of the notoriously awful trickle-down economics debacle, and Carnegie Mellon, and their research was financed by the Federal Reserve Bank. So these are not places that are not known to be dens of socialism or communism. And the results of that research has been replicated over and over and over again for a decade. So among other things, we need to start clapping back at those who suggest that politicians or CEOs are being rewarded for good performance as they dismantle our economy, our environment, our society, and our democracy. They're not. The more we pay them, the poorer their performance. They may have autonomy, but they are not achieving mastery, and they do not have a higher social purpose, a, a way of continuing good in this world. They may have a purpose, and their purpose is very personal. Grift is a personal purpose. That is not something that makes humans truly happy. So we're actually doing poorly by everybody when we allow that argument to go on, when we allow it to go unchecked. Effective cooperation and management versus the strong cultural and psychological pull in America to punish seems to make us turn our backs on things we know are truly motivational. And here we end up turning on YouTube or Instagram and other places, TikTok, where motivators tell you how to, you know, motivate yourself and get up at 4 a.m. and take a cold shower. And they make it a personal and individual thing. People look at Elon Musk and say he only sleeps three hours a day. P.S. It shows that man's humanity is compromised by his lack of basic self needs being met. We know it's going to be a bigger project. And I think part of the thing is teaching other people how to treat us. And one of the great things, going back to the great resignation, I love it, is to make it incredibly clear to anyone employing us that we require a base pay that covers our basic needs and that our motivation as humans comes from not worrying about every single bill we have, plus being able to be autonomous and have purpose and be allowed to have mastery. And I think once we can really powerfully stand up to those who pay us and tell them that is not enough, not, not for me to create, not for me to give you my time, give you my cognition, and in a very real sense, give this job a piece of my life. 
money is not only not enough, ultimately, it demotivates. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Working 9 to Thrive, a show about career, community, and creativity. Stay tuned for part two of a talk with illustrator, author, and cartoonist, David Milgram. still we're still clinging on to these these old patterns and as a creator a solo creator like uh, you know writing and illustrating art you know even some aspects of music you know anything you're doing by yourself you're just sitting there yeah. by yourself with this past in your face yeah. trying to get to that other part I talked about which is this purity of creation yeah it doesn't Flow. mean what, what I do is good it just means that what I do really pleases me it's like it really it's like fun and I would do it just for fun yeah you know I just love that I can make a world I'm drawing I make a world like you know if I as I learn the craft I can make these characters come to life you know I can you know, there's just something about it that, you know, there, that's a purity that is a kind of a, really a beautiful thing. And it gets very, very uh, enmeshed with this, this kind of pathological part. Mm. And in my own mind, I would say my biggest goal on as an artist is to separate those is get past the pathology around it. And to exist you know to create in a sense with peace and joy yeah and you know if I make it I don't make it that's not really that important what's important is that when I create I I do it with with peace ease and joy and the the making it not making it part the main aspect that's really important is it lets me stay at it right you know it's like right. if it Keeps the I don't door, have to go spend paid. eight hours in a gas station or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually, you know, part of why I do sort of concentrate on those three things, career, but really work enough to keep the rent going and the lights on plus, you know, plus, plus the others. But what you were describing really sounds like flow state, which is really considered to be like one of the most healthy things you can spend your time and attention in which is when you're creating and feel really happy creating flow state. Yeah. 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 It, it's definitely that flow state to me feels like just what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's not like, Oh, I'm going to obtain flow state. Like that again is another goal that, mm. that uh, where the end obscures the means, you yeah. know, it's like, it's the, the, the journey and, that is the target, but it's like, okay, if, you know, I never really like perfectly do it. And do you ever meditate? You know, I, have you ever meditated? I, I, I have, and, and I, I've, you know, come back to it more recently, but then drifted away from it. You it's remind not, me yeah. of the moment where you say, I'm good at this. And then you're like, I'm not. <laughs> oh, totally. 
it's just that yeah. idea of the goal based kind of thing where you're like, oh, I got it. I oh no. <laughs> yeah. No, you cannot grasp for the second you grasp for it, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Although I did it's... see a thing recently where someone was saying that, you know, one of her clients was really berating himself for not journaling enough. And she was like, what? what is the purpose of journaling? And he was like, oh, to kind of work out these things in my mind. And she said, well, do you work out these things in your mind somewhere else? And he was like, yeah, when I garden. And she was like, you don't have to journal. Like yeah. <laughs> the journal's just a tool. And I think that's true with meditating. I think if you're in a flow state enough that you feel pretty healthy, I don't know that you have to meditate to get into a different yeah. one. Like, you know, it's sure. Sort of, but know, that's a big if. That's, that's a big a, if. <laughs> you know, like, like I could, I can feel some of it, but the two almost are always there. You know, it's, it's like this, this, uh, alluring sort of fun, immersive flow aspect. It can, it like exists concurrently with the, oh my God, is anybody going to like this? You know, oh yeah. my God, what am I doing? This is, I'm no good. And, and, you know, is this, am I always going to just, you know, put stuff up in the web for free or right. you know, whatever. Right. Is anybody and, and listening? I, it, is anybody looking? Yeah. yeah. Does anybody care? Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of the pieces I did. I, yeah, I, I do comic essays. I imagine you yes. took a peek at I it. Did. I which did. I did. One of which was on work, but I really liked it. The nature of work. Yeah. 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 There, yeah. A more recent one. Yeah. And I've done a few that, that touch on, on that and definitely touch on all these themes and, I just read one of them, maybe it was that work one, and I was struck almost a little concerned about how much of an essay the text part is, mm. and then it's punctuated by the humor of the comics. Yeah. But I, one I had done was on, you know, there, maybe there was a couple that on whether anybody cares if I'm alive, like how many mm. people are gonna come to my funeral you know, as a, as a concern. Yeah. You know, yeah. Those things are just like always in there swirling around as I'm trying, it's like, you know, I'm trying to work here. Leave me alone. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's back to the being a seven-year-old and wondering if anyone's going to come to your birthday party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. It's, and it's the same damn thing. It's the, the you know, the feelings the same. Well, and it's so interesting because this is that, that pull between the fact that there's a certain amount of sort of imposter syndrome kind of stuff going on and in our conversation. And yet, you know, by every possible metric, I think of people who think, oh, you know, designing children's books would be fun. You've been a raging success at it. And it's just, and you were saying SNL, same thing. People get to this point of being what the, these, these pinnacle points that anyone from the outside would say, that is the dream. And then wondering, you know, is it, yeah. is it, is it working? Is it the dream? It, it, it so isn't. I think Anne Lamott describes it so well in Bird by Bird. It's like, you think that first publishing contract is going to save you. And the second you get it, your mind is only on that next publishing contract. And it just has nothing to do with it. It's, you know, it's like a, my wife says going to the hardware store for oranges or something yeah. like that. I forget the saying. That's you know. nice. It, yeah, you, it's just a. It's the wrong. We're you know straight, just the wrong 
remedy, the wrong prescription for the ailment. So it can never work. I did review a book called Creating Meaning. I think that's what it is, or Meaning. And Mm. the woman said it was really interesting. She said it only takes 12 seconds before you do exactly what you're talking about, flip something into what she calls a contagion narrative. And it takes 30 seconds to think, to keep something positive. And I've started to do Mm. this. I've started like when I do get, you know, you're saying the recording contract or whatever, when I do get like a something that I wanted or that is good, I now very consciously take 30 seconds to like, dance around the living room, sing happy birthday, Uh, something that takes 30 seconds because my own, you know, programming would lead me to go, where's the other shoe to drop? Something good happened. Where's the bad? And I thought it was interesting. It really is like they've they've tracked it to the second. (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't heard that, but I did hear Brene Brown going on about this very exact thing. I, Ah. you know, I listen to podcasts of hers and some other things. It might have been a daring greatly, but maybe it was on her podcast. But it's it it's just that the second something good happens, maybe it's 12 seconds, according to what you're saying. Yeah. You're immediately like, oh yeah, well, this will get wiped out, or you know, I'll get in a car accident now or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That somehow you have to pay for it. it you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also, yeah. yeah. And also that just lack of like, I, I think one of the things I always did was something good would happen and I would immediately unfurl a list that was now free that was taken up with waiting for this thing to happen. So now that it's passed, I now have the next 85,000 things to start on. And, yeah. and I, it, it was kind of nice to be told 30 seconds, go take your 30 seconds, do your dumb dance. Go out on the porch, yell Yahoo, whatever. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's it's. I hate the idea that we're living and working so hard for thirty seconds every, you know, four or five weeks or something. Well, it's funny because you actually reminded me about that a minute ago when you were talking, and I've thought about this before. Um, I don't know that I've ever gotten it articulate enough to write it out or anything, but the promise of the twentieth century was that we would all end up with this leisure time to create, to do what you were talking about before, where you were like, you know, well, working eight hours at a gas station every single day and then ending up. That was not the promise of the 20th century and and the progress we literally all signed on to was not going to be 80-hour days making two or three guys really, really obscenely rich and, you know, and, and being predatory to the environment. It was that we would all be working, have our, you know, have our basic needs covered and we'd be working, you know, 20 hours a week maybe and then creating. So if we did have to work at the gas station, we could yeah. still learn how to play violin. Yeah. <laughs> my In my idealized world, my, you know, vision, that is still possible. And, yeah. you know, as we come into a, an age of more and more automation, it seems even more possible. Yeah. And, you know, all this thing that we're talking about, about chasing the wrong goat or whatever it is, you know, ch- <laughs> like chasing success as yeah. opposed to uh, belonging. The the positive aspect of that is that all of the people that are in power and in these, you know, couple of rich guys that have everybody's money, if the, if it was fun, if it actually felt good, we'd be in trouble. But because it 
I can't imagine that it feels like anything but more anxiety. Yeah. And you know, you there's there's bragging rights, but bragging rights is not is not what uh, a satisfying life is made of. Yeah. If it was really genuinely satisfying, they would never give it up. Right. But because it's not satisfying, in my preposterously uh, optimistic mind, there's the chance that that it could they could let it go for something better because ultimately everybody wants better. Yeah. And that's fine. You should want better, especially given the state we're are, that we're starting from. Yeah. But you know, maybe there's something better even for for them. You know, yeah. if they could just step aside from the the competitive aspect of it. You know, we are made to cooperate, not yeah. you know, we're made to compete tribally, one tribe to the other. And that's why tribalism is so dangerous. But we're not, we're really not separate tribes now. Right. You know, it's like we talk about now that maybe another civil war here in this country. How, how could there be? I mean, we couldn't even then in the in our actual civil war, there was the north and the south as as perhaps are slightly arbitrary as that was. We still drew a line and fought. How could you even fight now? I mean, we're so clearly one tribe. You know, the, what are you going to do? Kill the guy that that delivers your you know groceries? I mean, wait you know, we're all depending on each other all the time. So, and in that setting, cooperation is the, is the key. Yeah. And that's the thing we're, that we're bred to, when I say bred, that we, that we're optimized to pursue. That's the thing that feels good. You know, nature took a very, you know, basically selfish animal, which is very similar to most animals, even pack animals are still selfish. You never see a wolf let another wolf eat first voluntarily, Mm. but we'll do it. Right. But it took this, this primarily selfish animal and layered on this drive to cooperate and made that feel so good that we would prefer that, you know, we would share our food and have, even when we're starving to be part of the group. Yeah. And that's what's opened us up to evolve, really. You know, the the fact is that's the big inflection point is when we actually do take care of, you know, somebody straggling, do take care of the other person. That's it. Yeah. And it feels really good because nature made it feel good. Yeah. And it will always feel good until our biology changes. You know, being being president of Amazon or, or Elon Musk or something, that doesn't change that fundamental thing. It still feels good to cooperate. Yeah. 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 The, that, that, yeah, (laughs) you're absolutely right. It still feels good to cooperate and that's what we're meant to do. It's interesting, the whole business piece of it, because one of the things that I like to concentrate on is the fact that businesses will often justify their sort of toxic behavior or toxic competitiveness with this idea that they are taking the risk and yet almost 99% of their efforts are to mitigate the risk they're taking. And Hmm. sometimes I really like to point that out to people. (laughs) 
like yeah you just, what are you are you thinking of a particular example well you know one of the ones well like you were talking about just wanting to mitigate the risk of is this book like something else so we can say it's like that but also right. even down to and it's a version actually of the same thing which is funding if you're gonna if you're gonna fund a new business right the way that venture capitalists work is they put up the money, but they it, they want controlled gambling. They want to have 10 times the amount they put in back at the other end. And they want to have a pool so that if nine of those 10 businesses they funded fail, they'll still get their money back. And every time I've talked to someone, I've said, so, so what, why are you so, because then they want to control those businesses, right? Then they want to change the business to be what they think is going to be successful. And I've said, but why? Because that's not, that's a complete pivot from the original. Right. Like you've made this about, you know, it was about, the one that always comes to mind is the case I'm familiar with where the person figured out a way for AI to look at cancer cells mm -hmm. and then got funded. This is a short, short version of this. And I'm sure I'm missing some nuance, but short, they got, they got funded. And then pretty soon it was, oh, let's have the AI look at car accidents so we can sell this program to insurance companies, car insurance companies. But that doesn't have anything to do with the original person's desire to help people with cancer. And right. why why make that change? Oh, because we we need to mitigate the risk. But then you're not taking the risk, which is why you were in, like, you, you know, you can't right. have it both ways. You can't say, well, we we take on the risk and now we have to make it incredibly safe. <laughs> like, then you're not yeah. taking on risk, are you? <laughs> like, right. You didn't climb that cliffside with that person. You wanted to change it to a flat path. And then you thought that's how you were going to make money. But the reason you didn't make any money is because by mitigating that risk, yeah. you ruined everybody's dedication to helping one another, to doing something meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's, it's exactly how the world's gotten so fucked up. It's just little steps that yeah. seem to make sense. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, if we, the Republicans have big money donors. So if in order to compete with them, we have to take big money donors too, and uh, you know, or you know, they say they could, can say equal things. You know, flip it and say equal things. It's it's all the tiny little compromises that seem to be necessary that add up to the peril that that we're facing yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. One thing I like to do when I talk to businesses, particularly or business owners, is ask them what their values are. And a lot of them have never taken a half hour to figure that out. And then yeah. be like, if one of your values is integrity, then is that, are all your vendors honest? <laughs> you know? Are my value, their values is to have no values. Yeah, yeah. And that leaves you rudderless. That leaves you victim to saying, I'll take those big donors and, and, and that kind of thing. It, it's sort of, right. yeah, but I think the prevailing yeah. paradigm is moving and shifting. I think that's one of the reasons everything feels so lost is because it's moving. And I'm very here for that. Like I, I love the yeah. sense of movement. I was very tired of the sense of stagnant. This is how it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it isn't. We kept having kids and they're like, no, <laughs> yeah and it has to move because we're because it where it is now where it's at rest or whatever you know where it's largely stuck magnetically is not a good place 
No, and I even think of this with the pandemic, which I think sped things up rather brilliantly, horrible though it is. But, you know, we've had tools like Zoom. We've had tools to do, to free people from workplaces, to include people that are disabled, to open up the world in all these ways. And we've had these things for 20 years. And it's been like, we don't do it that way. Oh, well. You're gonna yeah. have to now. <laughs> right, right. Necessity, the mother of invention. Yeah, yeah. I think of that yeah. when I think of like theater. Some of this, I've been to some theater projects that were done virtually that are beautiful. And no, you could have done those 15 years ago. Nobody did. Yeah. Or somebody yeah. did and yeah. nobody saw it, like you were talking about. I'm sure. Right. I'm, I'm right. sure. Actually, I should say it. I should. I should totally rewrite what I just said. I'm positive people have been doing those things for the past 20 years and 15 years, and no one has noticed it right? until now. Most people, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Lizzo, do you, do you know her, the musician Lizzo? I just, based, like, vaguely. She said, yeah. everyone says I broke out this year, but I've been doing it for 10, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. You know, a lot of what I'm saying is is very global and and big, but it's actually has mattered to me personally as mm. I've I thought about these things and written about them. It, it's in a way in process of teaching myself an important lesson about the value of community, mm. which I've always put behind the aspirations for career success. And I've actually started to change that. So I'll focus more time and energy on group related things, more open to that and more willing to uh, be inconvenienced by community, which is kind of part of it. You know, it's like, if you know, you kind of, if you want to be, if you want people to have your back, if I want people to have my back, I have to have their back. And that means I have to find people who want to make that deal, which isn't everybody. You know, a lot of people just want, just I'll take care of my end, you take care of your end, and where the Venn diagram overlaps is where we'll hang. But I don't think that's what I need. I think I need more overlap than than that if that makes any sense it does it does i love the i love the like it feels like a magic word to say accepting the inconvenience of community i don't think anyone's ever said that before in all my times of talking to people Hmm. but it really gets at the barrier between just i'll do it myself or i'll do without and yeah I will accept, I'll see this thing, I'll acknowledge this thing, and I'll accept this thing because it builds relationships, it builds reciprocity. That is lovely. Right. right. And it, you know, it's like baby steps. You know, I feel like I have so much further to go. And I have met people that seem like they naturally are fully immersed in that way of thinking who become then become my models. Like, oh, what, how are they doing it? What are they doing? you know, that's interesting, you know, that, that, that you could just put, just put the relationships and community over other things. So, you know, I don't know what it might mean for me in the future, but, you know, having people stay in the house, uh, you know, 
going to stay at other people's house to help them. Yeah. You know, showing up and being there, doing things that, you know, aren't the funnest because of the camaraderie it, it creates. The, the, you know, the easy, the low hanging stuff is like playing music in a band, doing uh, improv comedy in a group. You know, those are things where we are depending on each other. And uh, there, a sense of community can be found, you know, yeah. it can also not be even in those environments. You know, we show up, we do our thing here and then, you know, and then we go on our own way. But I, I feel like th that's a fun way to go, to go deeper in, in the personal relationships. It's interesting how that seems to parallel like the the rise of just the nuclear family. Like we do do that when we talk about children. We take on the inconvenience yeah, for totally. this for this community yeah. and then leave it and then act as if that couldn't be expanded outwards and make sort of a virtuous circle or, you know, spiral to say, yeah, I could I could take care outside of without burning out knowing that there's reciprocity yeah. that's really lovely but i love that idea of the the inconvenience because it really does apply to all of the it's very inconvenient to have children but we take it's, it on it's totally <laughs> that's a hundred percent it you know they scientists think that our relationships in general are based on the familial relationship that we just expanded that yeah. to a uh, to you know neighbors and and tribes mates and you know reciprocal altruism is is what it's called but ah. it, it, you know it's it, with a kid it's not even reciprocal well i guess it is when you get ultimately older. yeah they, yeah <laughs> it's an investment well it is interesting because that book on yeah. meaning one of the things that that uh, the author was citing was that um parents feel you were talking about like wanting to be known, wanting to be important, wanting to be the best at, at what they are. And they were like, no, all of that's out the window, but they do have meaning. They're not happy. That's what it was. Parents are some of the yeah. least happy individuals, parents of kids still in the house, the least happy individuals, but the ones that report the most meaning. That's what it was. Uh, so they have yeah, the feeling yeah. of worth, even as it is dreadfully inconvenient and they're not happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just wrote a piece that, that touched on this idea of, of meaning and purpose, I, I, to me, they're kind of interchangeable. And I, someone commented about it and then I had a discussion with them. It's all on medium. It, it's fun. It's funny how people can have trouble with some of those concepts, but to me, it always comes back to doing for other people. It's doing something that's valuable to other people is where there's purpose. Yeah. And you know, when you're raising a kid, it's, there's a hundred percent purpose. They're completely dependent on you. Yeah. Yeah. But then we start kind of, well, I'll just take care of me and mine. And then, then why isn't my life more purposeful? Yeah. You know, and, and, and to be fair, you know, the, it should be at work, but through those many compromises that I was just talking about through those, all, you know, all those little steps of, of uh, outside of ethics and morality, you know, and off and off focus and, you know, into the usually almost always for money, right. you know, all the, that moving has made every job suck. And they're all like, trying like I to mitigate even, risk, right? Those little, yeah, those little it, things it, you did. Yeah. And maximize profit. And maximize it just, profit. it sucks the life out of everything. And, you know, we should be able to be, 
have a feeling of making a contribution at work. Imagine that. Yeah. Clock in and feel like, wow, I'm really doing my share for for the community. But who feels that? Most people, it, you know, because the boss is just, you know, the corporation, the company is just squeezing you for their own profit. You just say, well, I'm just going to do this for my own purposes. Yeah. yeah. But that's not why we work. You know, that was that was the oh, like maybe that was the article on work that I that you mentioned yeah. of why we really work. It's it's to make a contribution. That's the the title of the article is we're not working for the weekend or the money or something like yeah. that. Yeah. You know, why we really work. It's not for the weekend or the money. Well, it's so interesting to, you know, people fall into, like, talk about the little bits that the little changes that you make. One of the concepts that I'm always sort of sympathetic to, and it just, I, there's a tragedy to it, which is someone who is really, really good at their job, say, like a engineering plan designer, so good that they get elevated and they get a, a raise and they get promoted to being in charge of other people, which is oh, something yeah. that they're not good at. They <laughs> yeah. receive, they didn't want, but they wanted to sort of progress somehow, but that's what they end up getting. They have no time to do what did put them in flow. They have no time to do what got them here. Like there's this almost tragic, like let's bury you now. No training or very little training, the training that there is is often slanted toward, I would say, it, um, an ownership mentality, like that you own these people and have to tell them all what to do. And these people are really miserable having made it to this place and then promoted out of joy, basically. Yeah. And I think a lot of times totally. those are the tiny, sort of reasonable at the time decisions that turn out to really sort of degrade people's satisfaction in their lives i think 100 percent. yeah it's it and it's really tough you know when you're offered that extra uh responsibility it it comes with extra uh acclaim and extra money and and we're oriented to define success based on money and position so you know it's like yeah how can i not take it you yeah know? and and it and it's such it's so it's so death to so many things. Some people love managing yeah. other people. And that's and as it should be. That's and there's nothing wrong with doing that. But some people just want to do the the job, you know, the hands-on job. Yeah. The thing that itself. they were there for. And, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. we're not oriented to do the thing we're there for. And ever and there's such a squeeze again. It's like everybody is so squeezed, you know, my perfect world, we maybe have a ratio as a guess, five to one money. So the top person would make five times the money of the, of the, of, you know, the least paid person. And it would not, it would go based on, on, you know, real uh, meaningful criteria, not on who can exploit who, but if everybody right. was on a level field, you know, maybe one of the top earners would be picking strawberries, which is a freaking backbreaking, miserable job in the hot sun that people mostly do because they don't have a choice. Right. If people had a choice, you'd have to pay that job more. You know, I just read about this. It was an article saying that a subway 
sandwich store owner took her 16-year-old son out of school to work shifts because she can't get enough people. And and even though on the one hand that's reprehensible, I actually kind of I, I kind of feel bad for her. She's a woman, business owner, and a mom. She's trying to make it. She's a franchisee, all the things about that. But then also in this article was this other woman who runs a business in New York City, and she said, I'm paying everyone 25 bucks an hour. I have had no problem finding staff. Yeah, of course. Of course, the question is, you know, with the franchise fees, can yeah. she pay more? Can can that happen? You know, at, at yeah. What, yeah. Can she, will the, would she have to close the business? You know, everybody always says they'd have to close the business. I don't know. In her case, maybe she would. Yeah. But you know, there's just, just all this money tied up in these few hands. It's just making everything harder well, and people are getting angry. Yeah. And actually the, the, the metaphor I love for this, and it's one that occurred to me. So I got an MBA just a couple of years ago and I oh. sat through all these classes <laughs> and I was a ringer because I oh, come from, okay. I come from the arts and nonprofit world. And there are about three of us that were there that were not coming up through business and management through the traditional channels. And we were all ringers. But one of the things was, you know, if we talk in economics about money, which is a concept, but it, it has to flow, it has, it has to flow. So it's essentially blood. Then all these times mm. where somebody like the Waltons or Elon Musk or any of these people, when they're hoarding, they are blood clots and we stroke out. And I, I have yet to <laughs> I see, like yeah, I have yet to see any way in which this is not like an accurate portrayal. Yeah. That's what happens. And then, it, yeah. you know, the place love that. starts yeah. to die and you got to do something to, to yeah. swing the other way. And we've been here before. We were here at the end of the, at the end of the 1800s, at the early 1900s, we had the same thing happen. Was that with Roosevelt, uh, Teddy? Yeah. 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 And it, Imperfect man, and it's so unnecessary. It, right, you know, like Jeff Bezos is is a visionary right. and a genius. You know, he had this idea, and even when when I first heard it, it's like, what? I'm going to order socks at the bookstore? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, no one believed in him. Yeah, and he put together this thing that's unbelievably convenient, and unbelievably useful with I uh, peer reviews of products yeah you know the the what he's created is great i mean i would completely bow to that guy there's so much glory that we could still give him without the money yep you know why he needs to make 45 billion dollars in a pandemic it's ridiculous you know while yeah. while his employees are struggling to survive with you know difficult conditions it's like there's so much glory you know i'd, yeah. I'd personally go wax the guy's car you know, it's like you win. He, like he's Jeff like Bezos, he could still win. be, he could still be have the same glory without the money. Yeah, somebody you know, had the that. Money's not doing anything. Somebody had that great thing about saying, "What if every time anybody gets to, I forget what what it was. It was tied to like the gross domestic product. But every time they reach that, we get to ding a bell, give them a trophy, yeah. and tell them they won capitalism. Like <laughs> we will and, have you yes, dinner and, for you. <laughs> uh, and uh, we can continue to honor them you know it's yeah. it's you know steve jobs was another visionary you know these are people to to honor you know they 
I'm not saying they're that they're actually good people. I don't know. I don't know them. I've heard they're both terrible. <laughs> but I think they're terrible because they're miserable, just like everybody else. Well, you know, yeah. they have their seven-year-old self that's not satisfied, and they're just exactly the same as us. They're the same amount of pharmaceuticals, same amount of plastic surgery, same amount of self-doubt, same amount of self-hate. Yeah. In ways, it's worse because everybody wants a piece of them. People that I meet, I'm on even ground. Nobody yeah. wants a piece of me. You know, it's like right. it's a, an even thing. And the only people I can't meet on even ground are people who are famous. Right. Who who it's like it's like now that person can't be a friend because they're it's just weird. Right. You know, they're <laughs> gonna hang around with a nobody like me. You know, it's like, yeah. damn. Yeah, they made you know? it weird. <laughs> yeah, they made it weird. So it it's just I don't know. It's it's a it's such an unnecessary mess, I think. Yeah. And again, I know I'm kidding myself to think it'll ever be anything else, but I'm gonna continue to kid myself. I think we're in the middle of an inflection point. I think the I think the pandemic did some really interesting things. I think I think the turnover of boomer generation to the next thing is gonna be really interesting to watch. And I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> Good. I like that optimism. Yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate it. It went very interesting places, this conversation. Yeah. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you, Janos. It's absolutely my pleasure. I appreciate David coming in today to talk about his work, his creativity, and the communities he's involved with. If you'd like to listen to past episodes, go to our website, working9tothrive.com. That's with a nine or subscribe on Apple or Google Play. Look for our blue logo with a green maple helicopter seed. And follow us on social media. <laughs>